With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. I am back. Sorry for the little delay on the pod here. It is Thursday. June 2nd, and I have been away from the pod for a few weeks. Kim and I, my wife and I, just had a baby. Baby number three uh, was born for us May 19th. Marvin Lou Ba is officially in the world. Uh, and unfortunately, though, he was in the NICU for about two weeks. Uh, he was born uh, and was a little jaundiced as Billy Rubin was elevated. So we went down to the NICU. We got that under control. But when we were in the NICU with the little little guy, uh, he started having some oxygen issues. And his oxygen would, would dip into the 80s. Um, so obviously that's obviously a, a, a concerning. So they ran a bunch of tests, um, you know, heart echo, chest x-ray, uh, lab blood work, um, and, and, you know, did a battery of tests and all that stuff. And everything looked good. Um, so the, the doctors then determined that uh, sometimes apparently big babies, and Marvin was a big baby. He was, he was born 10 pounds, 9 ounces. He's a monster right now. He's like a, a Russian power forward kind of guy right now trending in that direction. But sometimes apparently big babies uh, need to take some – it just takes some time to get their, their lungs strong enough to keep their oxygen levels up. Uh, at least that's what they're kind of thinking in the moment. Uh, so my little guy, Marvin, got discharged from the NICU and got to come home on June 1st. Uh, but he came home on oxygen. So we came home with a bunch of oxygen tanks and different things, obviously, which is which is a bummer. But at least we are home and all of us are under one roof. And at least as of now, uh, all the potentially maybe really scary or bad causes of, of what could have caused this oxygen dip and really what was going on with him have kind of been pseudo ruled out. So uh, little Marvin is home. He's doing much better. Obviously, it's it's more than a little scary when your newborn baby is having some some oxygen problems. But he definitely seems like he's on the right track uh, as of now. And uh, we'll have to keep him on oxygen at home and continue to do these checkups with, you know, uh, with various doctors and different things and all that. So we've been spending the night in the in the NICU and. And taking care of Marvin, and I've also been, my wife's been a trooper. She's been the one that's been in the NICU pretty much every night. And I've kind of been back and forth from the hospital and at home taking care of my two other little kids, six-year-old Mava, and uh, Mac is almost two. So it's been a very, very, very hectic, crazy couple of weeks. Um, so because of that, I put the pot on the shelf for a little bit and wanted to wait till we got the little guy home and got things pseudo under control. So I'm back. Um but I'm also only running on like two or three hours sleep <laughs> as I record this. Um, so I'm still in the grind. You know what I'm saying? All these parents out there that, that have gone through it know what I'm talking about. But it's great, man. I'm just, you know, it's just, it, it's it's incredible. I'm in, in, incredibly fortunate to have three beautiful kids. Um, yeah, it's wild to see them all together and it, laughing with each other. All, it's just, it's nuts. So life is good. 
Um, life is good. That's a little baby update. Oh, I've had some people ask about the name Marvin, where that came from. So the Marvin, uh, so I guess from our first two, I just said our first two kids had M names, Mava and Mac. And my wife and I, we kind of wanted to keep, we wanted to keep the M name thing going. Uh, and for me, I just, I, I was, it took a while for this one. I fell in love with the name Marvin though, uh, to find it. So it took a while to find Marvin and kind of come up like, oh, what about Marvin? And I just, I loved it. And, you know, it's always interesting when you're naming a child, like I, because I, everybody, you know, my wife is like, what about Mitch? I'm like, well, to me, Mitch is Mitch Ballock, right? Like, what about Martin? I'm like, well, to me, Martin is like Martin Lawrence, you know, like there's always certain things. That, and I know for Marvin, it's like, well, that's Marvin Gaye. That's Marvin Hagler, you know, who, whatever. But for me, like, I don't know any Marvins personally. And to me, it's a fairly unique name without it being a weird name. Like, this is my son, microphone, and my daughter, table. You know, you're like, okay, what are you doing here? Uh, but so it's a fairly unique name without it being uh, weird, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, man, I'd say, I don't maybe the, picking a name is so challenging and stressful because it does kind of feel like a name can kind of shape you in some ways. It kind of can, right? And this one was was a challenge for us. We, my wife and I, we landed on Mava pretty early in the in the pregnancy and fell in love with that name. We we both loved Mac fairly early on in the process. We really didn't land on Marvin and that name until maybe like April. And I mean, this baby was born May nineteenth, so it was a it was an interesting process. But I love it. Couldn't be more in love with the little guy and his name. Uh, his middle name is Lou. Uh, that is Kim's mother's middle name. So a little honor to uh, my mother-in-law and Kim's mom, which, of course, meant a lot to her. So there you go if you're curious about, like, baby origin names and all that stuff. I'm, I've already – I call him Marv. Uh, I call him Marvelous. I've even gotten to call him the full Marvelous Marvin Hagler, even though that is a totally different person. My wife's not a fan of that, but I'm like, you got to look him up. He's one of the greatest boxers of all time. Uh and of course, we've been listening to Marvin Gaye and all that stuff. So it's you know, I mean, we're just we're Marvined out here at the house right now. But yeah, everybody's doing good. Uh, we're out of the hospital, still on oxygen, but improving and doing better each day. Okay, that's the that's the latest on the baby situation. I can't tell you how much I've appreciated the text messages, the emails, the tweets, the Facebook messages of of you know support thoughts prayers all that stuff while while little guy was was in the NICU and all that stuff really means a lot I, I sincerely sincerely appreciate everybody that's reached out okay let, let's get down to business here on this podcast I so you know sitting in the hospital waiting for the baby to come and then being in there and and while the baby's sleeping I'll say you got a lot of time to kind of sit there and think and I've just been kind of writing down a handful of notes in my iPhone while I've been sitting in the in in the hospital and uh, this is almost like a podcast that's like a little iPhone notes casserole, if you will. Now, 99% of this uh, is going to be Husker football on tap today. I got a little NBA Finals thoughts at the end. Uh, so here we go. Um, so, you know, it's, it is pretty amazing to stop and, th- and, and we've, I mean, this is one of those things like we've talked about this, all the influx of the newcomers for Nebraska football and Scott Frost's plan and everything like that. We've talked about it a ton, but I think the one thing that stood out to me is so one of the last pods I did with Bo Rude was we went position by position and we graded whether or not we thought the position was better or worse than it was a year ago. And when you do that exercise, you realize you're, you're projecting a lot of 
tr- incoming transfer portal guys. And then what's even more amazing is after recording that podcast, which was just a couple of weeks ago, Nebraska's added even more transfer portal guys. Like this has been pretty amazing to stop and think about what has unfolded over the last five months with Nebraska football, where, of course, we all know it, got to reset it. Frost finishes year four, three and nine, four straight losing seasons. Trev Alberts announces that he is coming back for a fifth year. But the reality of the situation is crystal clear. Scott Frost is on notice. He is on the hot seat. He is coaching to save his job now. So with that understanding, Scott Frost has made some pretty massive changes to his program. I mean, no team that didn't make a head coaching change has changed its situation, coaching staff, roster, all the above, more than Nebraska has. No team has. Scott Frost, since the end of the Iowa Black Friday game, think about this. Scott Frost has added five new coaches, 15 transfers from the transfer portal, not to mention, I think the number is 18 junior college and high school guys as well when you combine the two. That's a ton. And when you dig into the additions more than just numbers on a, on a you know, spitting out in a, in a podcast like this, of the new, of the new coaches hired, think about this, of the new coaches hired, it's a new offensive coordinator and play caller, pretty significant. And then one of the other new coaches that was hired is basically the new lead recruiter in charge of the entire recruiting operation, which we all know recruiting is the lifeblood of college football and college sports. Those are two significant pieces. And then with the 15 transfer portal additions, I mean, I'd say, and it kind of feels crazy to say this out loud, like your knee-jerk reaction when you hear this is like, come on. But then when you go through it, you're like, yeah. I'd say of the 15 transfer portal additions, like 10 will be starter impact difference-making guys or needed to be starter making difference-making impact guys. And you're like, whoa. That, well, think about Okay, Casey Thompson, Chubba Purdy, Anthony Grant, Trey Palmer, O'Shawn Mathis, Devin Drew, Tommy Hill. You can have a new punter, a new kicker. That's nine right there. Then you can throw in you know, the, the receivers – Garcia Castaneda, the Texas wide receiver transfer who just joined the the program about a week or so ago, Marcus Washington. I mean, that's that's remarkable when you stop and think about it. That many transfers coming into play start be difference-making impact guys. Leading passer, leading rusher, leading receiver, lead the team in sacks, field goal kicker, punter, starting corner, punt returner play caller, lead recruiter. That's a lot. I mean, this is a total flip in some ways. So then, you know, you you think about it and you watch all this stuff go down and you think to yourself, okay, will this work? What are the challenges behind all this? Like, why is Frost doing this? This episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. I received a great gift package from Omaha Steaks a few weeks back. Had some bacon wrap fillets, burgers, jumbo franks, chicken, pork chops, and caramel apple tartlets. And oh man, have we been eating good. In fact, the last meal my wife and I had before we went into the hospital to be induced to have baby number three 
fillets, the caramel apple tartlets, and oh man, they were big time. And then the first family meal, when we got the baby home, so big family meal, oh, your boy got on the grill. He fired those burgers up, the Jumbo Franks. And I got to tell you, those Jumbo Franks might have been the best hot dogs I've ever had in my life. Trust me, this package from Omaha Steaks is legit. Here's a little gift-giving wisdom from Omaha Steaks. Dads want steaks. And with Father's Day around the corner, there isn't a better gift than Omaha Steaks. Visit omahasteaks.com. Type Nick Baugh in the search bar. That's N-I-C-K-B-A-H-E. And order the Dads Want Steaks package for just $99. This limited-time package includes 16 mouth-watering entrees your dad is guaranteed to love. Like the smoky, tender bacon-wrapped filet mignons, gourmet jumbo franks, their air-chilled boneless chicken breasts, and for that sweet, delicious finish, how about the caramel apple tartlets? Oh, my God, I'm, like, drooling even just talking about this. Makes me starving for this. And as a special gift for my listeners, when you type Nick Baugh in the search bar and order the Dad's One Steaks package, you'll also get eight free Omaha Steak Burgers. What a deal for just 99 bucks. So that's omahasteaks.com. Search Nick Baugh. That's omahasteaks.com. Search Nick Baugh. That's omahasteaks.com. And so when you kind of try to get inside of all of that and unpack it all, when you when you ask, okay, why why is why is Scott Frost doing all this? We 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 already addressed it a little bit ago, but it's it's pretty simple. Scott Frost is doing this because he feels like he is coaching to save his job, and he feels like he needs instant help. Real quick tangent. Just allow me one second to, get to go on a tangent here. Because I've been ham- I've been on this train, and I'm going to continue to hammer it, because at least for me, I'm fascinated with it. I'm still fascinated at the idea of Nebraska football being, quote, close last year versus what the actions that have followed would indicate, right? The narrative all of last year was that Nebraska was, man, I tell you what, man, they're a few plays away from winning eight or nine games last year. I tell you what, Nebraska is the best three and nine team ever. Nebraska is so close. And that's not just fans saying it. That's not just media saying it. You hear Scott Frost himself say, we're so close. We got to get over the hump. We got to... So there was that narrative that was permeating locally, nationally, everywhere. Well, hiring five new coaches, adding 15 transfers, likely maybe 10 of which will come in and be starters, doesn't fully jibe with that narrative of last year very well, does it, right? Like, this isn't uh, this isn't Wisconsin 2011, when... Wisconsin kind of felt like they had everything in place, great O-line, good running back, solid pass-catching wide receivers, good good linebacker play, solid defense. They just need a quarterback, and boom, this thing's going to take off. Well, insert Russell Wilson, and boom, they explode. This really isn't that. This is revamping your coaching staff, revamping your impact players on both sides of the ball, that's a lot. And listen, I get it. Because here's what's hard. Nebraska, they do need help in all of those spots, right? They need a quarterback. They need a running back. They need a lead wide receiver. They need a pass rusher. And I do think they needed to make some coaching changes. But am I the only one that feels a little weird to hammer the Nebraska was close train? 
but then turn around and say, yep, Nebraska needed to basically blow up their roster and staff right now to have a chance at winning next year. Like, doesn't that feel weird to say? Doesn't that seem like dueling narratives? So it's just fascinating how both those things can kind of be true. Because then I, I talked about this with Sip. What is what is going to be really interesting is if Nebraska wins eight or nine games next year and maybe wins the West or something like that, the narrative will be, see, Nebraska was close and they finally got over the hump. When in all reality, like, is that totally true? Because Nebraska, they, Nebraska had to kind of completely scrap everything, revamp their entire operation to get over the hump. Staff changes, Frost step back, no longer the full play caller. It's not his offense. He's not the guy that's that's it, totally dialed into all of that. Tons of new, a new offense. You get a bunch of new transfer portal guys, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by that. Okay, end of tangent. I'm sorry. So why is Frost doing this? Well, he must feel this gives him the best chance for success in the short term. Right? Like, and that's what he is looking for to save his job. He's in I need to win right now mode. Now, ideally, you don't you don't do this all the time. You're not bringing in all this new all the time, right? There's a reason you don't want to hire five new coaches and bring in 15 newcomers and and need a lot of them to start and be difference makers. It's a, ideally you don't want to do this all the time. Rebuilding a huge bulk of your roster in one offseason. This recipe now, you see it in basketball more often. And basketball is just inherently different. It can work in hoops, right? Taking, a, taking transfers, building a team year to year. Because oftentimes, you know, sometimes basketball, you can be like one or two plays, players away from like something completely special happening. But obviously, it's not ideal. It's not taking transfers, we're building a team year to year, revamping your roster every year. Bring it, like, it's not a great recipe. It's not the greatest recipe for sustained success. And my analogy for, for, for this has always kind of been the, the food analogy, right? The whole fast food versus the grocery store home-cooked meal kind of a thing. It's Obviously, it's, it's usually more cost-effective and healthier to buy groceries and cook food at home. But sometimes you're in a bind, you're in a hurry, you got to go grab drive through fast food. Now, it solves a short-term problem of, I'm hungry, I only got about 30 minutes and I got to be over here. It solves that short-term problem. But if you do it all the time, it's going to catch up to you. So this plan is more common, and you see it in basketball. And it and can work for, for basketball. Now, the question is, does it or can it work for football? Now, I would say history tells us that the odds are probably fairly low. But a part of me saying that is there just isn't a big sample size of this. You just don't see this a lot. Completely revamping your roster with a bunch of transfers. Now, I can hear some people may maybe screaming into their to themselves internally, Nick, what about Michigan State last year? Mel Tucker flipped his roster with transfers, and boom, they go 11-2 and two and win the Peach Bowl. What about that, Nick? True. Very true. But here's the hard part about using that Michigan State example, in my opinion. Did the Michigan... Okay, so this... Taking a bunch of transfers, flipping it in a hurry with Michigan State. 
did it work because that model can work and is a good model? Or did it work because Michigan State had the best running back in the country and one of the best players in the country? Kenneth Walker was first-team All-American, Doak Walker, running back of the year, Walter Camp, player of the year, winner in college football. Did that model work because it's a replicable blueprint to, to follow and copy? Or did it work because you had arguably the best player in the country? And I don't know. I'm just kind of like, I'm I'm just asking the questions out loud. I'm kind of like in this new w- mindset of like talking things out. I mean, I have opinions, I have takes, but I kind of like to just throw stuff out there and then figure out where you like, sometimes you got to talk it through and figure out where you're at. And sometimes... It's okay to say, like, I don't know what I think at this moment. But I'm just asking the questions out loud. Did the Michigan State model work because it's a, it's a, it's a model that works and it can be replicated? Or did it work because they had the best running back in the country? Because, listen, sometimes a plan is only as good as your best player. Just like sometimes a movie script is only as good as your lead actor. And sometimes a TV show plot is only as good as your main character. Like, does Fresh Prince of Bel-Air work without Will Smith? Eh. Does Ace Ventura work without Jim Carrey? Eh. Were those replicable models of a, of a script and a blueprint and all this stuff? Or do they just have an incredible talent in the biggest spot? I don't know. Again, I'm just throwing out those questions right now. And just and caution to people who scream and point at Michigan State's bottle and say, see, it works. Transfer portal. Flip it every year, baby. Now, again, I'm certainly not trying to suggest that it can't work. It most certainly can. And again, on paper, I like all the individual pieces coming in. Like, I do. Coaching-wise, I think Mark Whipple's a home run. I think Mickey Joseph is a home run. I think Casey Thompson is experienced and really, really capable. I think O'Shawn, Mas- O'Shawn Mathis is, will make a huge impact. I think Trey Palmer clearly has a ton of raw talent. But it's just, it's hard to hit a, to hit at like a 75, 80% clip on your incoming new pieces. You know, it just is. And that's kind of what would need to happen, right? Like, think about it. Nebraska in total will be relying heavily on like 15 new people to be major impact pieces in the success for Nebraska next year. All five new coaches, then at least 10 incoming transfers. So for this thing to work and to pop, Nebraska needs like at least half or more like eight to 10 of those pieces to hit for Nebraska to have a successful season next year. That's hard to do. Not impossible to do, but challenging. Really, really challenging. And there are so many things. There are so many things within that that challenge, like of of it being challenged. And and one of those things is not just whether or not the players are good enough to come in and make an impact. One of the most interesting elements of next year and its challenge is, in my opinion, is is the team chemistry element of of all this 
for the players and the coaching staff. Like, it's going to be interesting to see how this many new people can come together, fuse together quickly, get on the same page right away, find that chemistry, find all of that stuff in a hurry. Because it's got to happen fast. And I've talked about this before on, on, on my podcast, but when you think about these transfer portal guys, oftentimes when you transfer and take this coming from a guy that did transfer, I transferred from Kansas Great. When you transfer, oftentimes you are seeking guarantees. It's not that you are scared of competition or anti-working to earn a spot, earn a position, earn playing time. But I'm just telling you, when you finally really go there and hit that transfer button, you're seeking out a situation that guarantees you what you are looking for. You better believe Trey Palmer, Anthony Grant, Casey Thompson, Tommy Hill, Devin Jarrell, Sean Mathis, Garcia Castaneda, Marcus Washington, on and on, are all expecting to walk in here and either start or be major, major contributors. They're not coming in like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna red shirt. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn the playbook for a year or two. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really try to soak up the guys in front. No, no. They're coming in to start and be major contributors. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And you just wonder, how does how does that reality play with within the locker room and with how the depth chart shakes out and how the coaching staff handles all of that stuff? Like, how does that all play with the returning guys in the locker room? Because you better believe a lot of those other dudes are are bad. You don't think Ramir Johnson wants to hold on to his starting spot? You don't think Logan Smothers doesn't want to be? Listen, man, I want to be the guy. I've been here for a couple years. Right? Like, and so how does the staff approach all of that? How do the players, how do the returning, like, how do the guys that are already in the locker room embrace the guys coming in? How do the guys act that are that are coming? How does Trey Palmer, Anthony Grant, O'Shawn Mathis, Devin Drew, Marcus Washington, Tommy, like, how do those guys all handle how they're reacting to things? Are they, are they walking in thinking the red carpet's going to be rolled out for them and, like, I'm the man, I'm the starter, get out of my way? Because you can't just, you can't just hand people starting jobs. Nothing will torpedo 
a locker room quicker than, than handing someone a starting job that, that the rest of the team doesn't feel like they've earned it or grinded to go get it. They got to go win those jobs. And then within all of that, you got to get everyone to, to come together in that intangible stuff, in the locker room, fight for each other, love each other. Football is a hard sport to play if you're not all in. It just is. It's, it's going to be challenging. And a lot of them will just be meeting each other for the first time this summer. That's not easy. And listen, we haven't even mentioned the playbook element of this situation. Right? So chemistry, camaraderie, we over me, all that matters. And all that is challenging with so many new pieces and it needing to come together in a short amount of time. So next year is going to be so fascinating. You could tell me, you you could tell me it's going to be a disaster and Nebraska is going to go three and nine again. And I guess I could believe that. You could also tell me it's going to be a roaring success and Nebraska is going to have a great year, go nine and three and win the West. And I'd probably, I could buy that too. Like the the range and spectrum of, of outcomes for next season is really wide. How many teams, like you, uh, some of the teams you think about like Ohio State, it's like their, their range of like they could, they're going to win anywhere from like nine to 11 games, right? Like it's like a two-game swing. There, Nebraska to me has like almost a six game range of what it could be. I could see them winning eight or nine games. I could see them winning three or four games, which will make for some great drama next year, especially given the Scott Frost coaching status situation. Last thought on on Husker football before I wrap up with a little NBA stuff. I was I was thinking about this. So, at the end of the day, given the identity for Nebraska football under Scott Frost, which is obviously offense, scoring, light up the scoreboard, all that stuff. That's As long as Scott Frost is head coach, that's going to be the identity likely of the program. With, with that identity being there, you could argue the three most important positions on the entire team are quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Your skill guys. Right? Like, you want to be a dynamic, electric, offensive-driven program that can light up the scoreboard, you better be pretty special at quarterback, wide receiver, and running back. And some of you are going, Nick, duh, what's your point here? My point is, think about this. I think you could argue that those three positions for the past four years have had the three weakest coaches on the entire staff for the last four seasons. And now they arguably have three of the best coaches on the entire staff. Mario Verdusco, Ryan Held. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I think both those guys seem like really good dudes, great guys, all this stuff. But, like, the proof is in the pudding. Adrian Martinez just didn't improve. In fact, you could argue he regressed. 
The running back situation has really lacked a real dynamic difference-making player the entire time. In fact, that situation was so bad, you had to take Wandale Robinson from the wide receiver position and put him at running back. You were so void of anybody at that spot, you had to put Wandale at running back, which likely caused him to transfer, by the way. And then the wide receiver situation has dealt with some coaching changes. Troy Walters, he leaves. Matt Lubick comes in. He gets fired. That creates challenges. And again, the proof is in the pudding. It's a results-oriented business. The proof is in the pudding at that, at that position. That position has just severely been lacking in real difference-making players, real player development. And now... You have for sure two guys in Mark Whipple and Mickey Joseph who have a proven, legit, undeniable track record as position coaches. Mickey Joseph helped recruit and develop and coach a national championship wide receiver core at LSU. Fact. Mark Whipple just recruited and developed and coached a Heisman Trophy candidate and top quarterback in the NFL draft in Kenny Pickett at Pitt. Fact. The proof is in the pudding. It's a results-oriented business. And by all accounts, Brian Applewhite has done a really good job already as the running backs coach at Nebraska. So I was just thinking about that. Like, if you're really going to hang your hat on offense, lighten the scoreboard up, dynamic electric offense, you better be really good at the skill spots. And Nebraska just hasn't been. And on some level, That's coaching. It just feels like Nebraska now has three legit proven good coaches in those three key spots, which is exciting considering the identity of the program under Scott Frost. Okay, wrap it up with a little hoops here. So I'm taping this again. It's June 2nd. Uh, Game one of the NBA Finals is tonight. Warriors, Celtics, Celtics. Shoot, by the time you're listening to this, you will have probably already seen game one or maybe even game two. Uh, but I do have a couple of quick thoughts I want to get on, on just kind of big picture stuff and a prediction and all that. But first of all, like, I just, I personally like, this is just me. I don't want it, this kind of sounds like, a, like I'm get off my lawn, like, back in my day is better. I, like, I'm not that old. But I personally like that both these teams are built and not bought. Meaning, like, more power to the stars, you know, taking control of their own careers and teaming up with other stars to form, you know, the super teams, all that stuff. But like, I personally just enjoy the organic journey of watching a team be in, built through the draft and grow. Like, I enjoy watching that. Like, it's been fun to follow this Golden State journey for the past eight or nine years. It's been fun to watch this Boston team with. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, grow and and fail and grow and hit checkpoints along the way. And what's amazing is, outside of Al Horford for Boston and Andrew Wiggins for Golden State, basically every major contributor on both teams is a drafted player by the franchise, which is pretty amazing. I find both teams really likable, really fun to watch. Golden State with their unselfishness, their intelligence on offense. Boston and their defensive grit. Plus, watching Steph Curry and Jason Tatum like 
those guys are incredible. I do. It does. It's always fun when you feel like I feel like we saw this with Giannis a year ago. I feel like we're seeing it a little bit with Tatum. Like when you watch a young budding superstar like really spread his wings and take that major leap right before our eyes. Like that's what we're we're seeing with Jason Tatum here. Jason Tatum has arguably been the best player in the playoffs so far. And then when you just kind of bounce around, like how can you not root for Clay Thompson? I mean, this is a guy that has had two major injuries back-to-back. Tears his ACL, tears his Achilles. I mean, brutal. There's a lot of lonely moments in that training room, rehabbing. There's a lot of, of time with your thoughts where you're going to some pretty dark places when you're wondering if you're ever going to be able to get back on the floor, all that stuff. I mean, 18 months ago or so, Clay Thompson couldn't even really run. And now he's back on the floor lighting it up. Clay's always been one of my personal favorites to watch. So it's been fun to watch his journey get rewarded. His little comeback journey. I know he's polarizing, but if you like winning basketball, you want Draymond Green on your team, period. Incredible competitive spirit. Really, really good passer. Incredible defensive player. Just does all the little things. Yeah, does he cry and bitch and complain after every call? Yes, it drives me crazy. But this dude is a winner and all about all the right things. And then, of course, there's Steph Curry. Unequivocally the best shooter to ever live. And in my opinion, he's in the conversation as a top 10 player of all time. Think about it. Steph's on the brink of winning his fourth title. This is going to be his sixth, his, this is his sixth trip to the NBA Finals. And then this kind of matters to me. He is, he is without a doubt the face or driving force behind one of the four or five greatest dynasties in NBA history. And I, I I wrote down a handful of the, you know, the faces of the big dynasties in NBA history. Of course, you got Bill Russell and the Boston Celtics. You got Magic Johnson, Lakers. You got Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics. You got Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls. And to me, then you got Steph Curry and Golden State. Now, you have the some other honorable mention guys, like Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons, Tim Duncan and the Spurs, Kobe and the Lakers. You could also say Shaq and the Lakers. But those are really, like, when you start truthfully writing down legitimate dynasties in the NBA, and then who were who's the face of and driving force behind? That's a, that's a short list. And that's, that's a list. That's a real list to be on. Russell, Magic, Bird, Jordan, Duncan, Kobe, Isaiah, Steph. Throw Kareem in there for the Lakers as well. And so for me, the more I watch Steph, so I was thinking about that. That matters to me. As someone that loves the NBA, loves the history of basketball, that matters to me. Like I got into that whole thing like, you're either the whole remember the Barkley thing he talked about with Durant's the difference between being the bus driver and and riding on the bus like th- this is a little what I'm talking about like all those guys like Magic Johnson was driving the bus Bill Russell was driving the bus Larry Bird was driving the bus Michael Jordan was driving the bus and don't get it twisted Steph Curry drives the Golden State bus the Nick Bob podcast is powered by my good friends at Runza you know a few things make me more proud than the fact that Runza supports my podcast because as a Nebraskan. 
I've been a Runza fan my entire life. I lived down the street from a Runza growing up. was a blast to go there as a kid. Sometimes I'd even ride my bike there with my buddies. I vividly remember one of our very first elementary school field trips was to Runza. Everyone loved it. I remember going to Runza in high school for lunches with all my high school friends. And I've told you guys this, one of the happiest days at Kansas my freshman year was discovering a Runza in Lawrence, Kansas, it was like finding a little slice of home when I was away from home. And now as an adult, it's great to share runs with my kiddos who absolutely love the deliciousness of Runza. It's a little Runza story from yours truly. And you know what the menu is. Just outstanding, amazing Runza sandwiches. Oh my gosh, a piping hot cheese Runza. Mm, that sounds good right now. Incredible burgers. The best fries on the planet. The salads are great, especially the Southwest chicken salad, my personal favorite. It's just awesome food. So whether it's lunch, dinner, a little snack, doesn't matter. Runza is the spot. You need to go download the mobile app. It's in the app store. You can order ahead, skip the line. Plus you can earn rewards as well. Runza makes it all better. But the other thing that's interesting with Steph, the more I watch Steph, the more and the more I watch the the league around him too. Because I think that's always interesting to think about. The star players, how they act, how they move, how they operate. The more I watch, the more appreciation, the greater appreciation I have for two things with Steph. Number one, how unselfish he is. I mean, just zero ego. None. Just, I'm not sure there's a more unselfish, selfless, all-time great player, really like in any sport ever, he he's at the top of that list. So that's number one. And then number two, how freaking hard he works off the ball. I'd argue, and I feel like I'm throwing a lot of hyperbole out here of like, this is the this and this, but I'd argue that nobody in the history of basketball works as hard as Steph Curry does off the ball. Sprinting off screens, constantly moving, screening his team, you know, setting a back pick, setting a down screen, running the floor. It's incredible to watch his motor, his stamina, and his movement. And that motor and that movement not only creates points and shots for, for himself and his team, like it creates points and shots for his teammates. And in some ways is the very essence of the identity of Golden State. Move the ball, move your body. Ball movement, player movement. That's what's so interesting about, like, there's this weird narrative for some, like, you get those old, you know, you get curmudgeons about, I don't like the three, I don't like the three-point shot, I don't like basketball nowadays. Steph Curry and Golden State ruined the NBA. Like, I don't know. Actually, like, Golden State plays beautiful basketball. They play more beautiful basketball than, like, and listen, I love Luka, but, like, watch it. The the heliocentric, like, James Harden, everybody stand and watch one guy, everybody stand and watch Luka, that's not fun to watch to me. Everybody stand and watch Luka hunt with, for a mismatch he likes through five ball screens and then pound the ball a bunch. Like, I don't like watching it. Golden State's not that. They move the ball. They cut. They screen. And Steph's, Steph's the, the catalyst and essence for all of that. As far as a prediction, God dang, I've had a, I've struggled to size this one up. Because I'll be honest with you guys, it's just me and you listening talking here. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. My eyes tell me Boston is better. I don't get to watch a ton of regular season NBA because I'm immersed in college basketball with what I do for Fox. 
But I, I'm one of those guys, I love the NBA playoffs. I watch almost all of the NBA playoffs. And based off of that, my eyes, my eyes told me early on in the playoffs, Boston's the best team. Boston, my eyes have told me Boston is better. And when you dig into it, first of all, Boston has had a far tougher road. They beat Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. They beat Giannis and the defending champs. They beat the one seed in the East in Miami. And say what you want about Miami. That's a tough-ass Miami Heat team with a Jimmy Butler's a dog. When you contrast that with Golden State's road, Golden State beat Denver without Jamal Murray. They beat Memphis. John Morant got hurt. Dallas, the more you watch Dallas, the more you go, I don't know what happened in that Phoenix series. Phoenix was, I, I mean, Dallas, who's better, Dallas or Milwaukee? I mean, come on. And then I actually think Boston matches up pretty well with Golden State. In fact, I saw this stat. Since Steve Kerr became the head coach for Golden State, Boston is the only team in the NBA with a winning record versus Golden State. Pretty, it's, now, some of that is you're not seeing them in the playoffs and all that stuff, but never, that's something. Boston's got the defensive positional versatility. They got great size. They got great athleticism. They can switch a lot of screens on paper. Marcus Smart, pretty good matchup for Steph. Jason Tatum, pretty good matchup for Clay. You can throw Tatum on, on Wiggins. You can throw Tatum on Jordan Poole. Same thing with Jalen Brown. He can guard a lot of different guys. You know, Grant Williams is a versatile dude defensively. Plus, when I kind of when I just look at like overall roster depth of shot makers, I actually think Boston has more capable offensive weapons. But here's the thing, Nick, you picking Boston? I'm not. Despite of everything I just said to you. Despite me saying, and I quote, I'm going to quote myself from like a minute ago, I think Boston's better. I'm still leaning towards picking Golden State. Here's how, and here's how it's, it's kind of shaken out in my brain. Experience, number one, saw the stat, 123 finals game appearances for Golden State, zero for Boston. 123 to zero. Rest. Boston, back-to-back seven-game tough series for against Milwaukee and Miami. The other reason, who's got the best player on the floor? Golden State does in Steph Curry. Home court advantage, Golden State. And then lastly, just like overall IQ, intelligence, winning basketball, knowing how to win – Obviously, you give the major edge to Golden State. And to me, it's that. that The combination of IQ, winning, pedigree, experience, combined with the best player in, in on the floor in the series, you combine all that, I'll take, I'll take that and I'll pick Golden State to win the title. But like I said at the top, I don't feel great about it because my eyes tell me Boston is better. I'm telling you, I'm not, like I know this sounds weird. When I watch, Boston looks like the better team to me. I think it's going to be a great series. I'll take Golden State in seven. And I know this feels like I'm really hedging here. This would not make a good first take segment. But, man, I'm picking Golden State, but I, it would not surprise me at all to see Boston win this thing. Not one bit. In fact, all the what's in, all the advanced metrics and analytics and all that stuff like Boston to win. But I'll take Golden State. 
Can't wait to watch it. Can't wait. Ahura Media Production.